0: Well, good morning, friends. I also want to welcome you here to First Methodist Mansfield, especially if you're a first-time guest or returning guest. Uh, My name is David. I'm really grateful to be here for many reasons, one of which uh, is just a few days ago I was 7,000 miles away from here. So uh, I don't know if anyone else traveled more than 7,000 miles to to be here uh, today, but I did. Excited to be here. But I I just got back from leading a group uh, from our church on a 10-day trip uh, to the Holy Land. Uh, We do that every two years. So if you weren't able to be a part of uh, this last trip, 2022, 2024, 2026, you can uh, plan ahead to be a part of one of those uh, pilgrimages at some point. Uh, but I wanted to tell you that up front. I'll say a little bit more about the trip later. But I wanted you to tell you that up front so that you could know what my ambitious goal is for the message today. It is to speak in complete sentences. So that's, that's my goal for today after making that, uh, that long journey home. My body is here. I am home physically, and I've been told my brain is on the way. So (laughs) hopefully... Hopefully that'll happen. We'll see how this goes. Appreciate uh, your grace uh, in that. Um, we are beginning a brand new series, and what I want to invite you to do is if you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to open that to 1 Peter chapter 2, not 2 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 2, I put it on the slide, just so I wouldn't forget 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have it, your Bible with you, you can find that on page 1888 in the blue Bibles that we have here in uh, our worship space. Uh, this is not only a new series, it's a Intentional season that we are entering into, thinking about the mission and ministry of our church and the way in which everything that we do we do together. Everything that your church does, week in and week out, day in and day out, is made possible by the generosity of this church. And so we look to the future and we pray, God, lead us uh, as we think about what you are calling us to do in, in mission and ministry to the uh, to the church uh, that, that we are part of and and to the world that we serve. We're doing that this year and the context of this series that we're calling double blessing. And since that's probably a brand new term, you've probably never heard that before, uh, and the meaning of it isn't immediately clear, we're going to spend most of the time in the message today just talking about what that theme really means, this principle of the Christian faith that we're going to be unpacking over the next four weeks. What do we mean by the idea of double blessing? And at the very end of the message, I'm going to give you some homework, so be looking forward to that. I want to share with you a challenge that I think will solidify for all of us what we Really mean by this principle of the double blessing. So I want to begin by zooming out just as far as we can and, and starting with this conviction that God is in the business of blessing. We believe that God is in the business of blessing. Here's what Dallas Willard, the great author, uh, wrote. Uh, there are two great words in the Bible that describe the posture of our souls towards one another. One is to bless, the other is to curse. Curse. We are creatures with wills, and in every encounter with other people, we will what is good for them, or we fail to do that. We end up willing what is bad. We cannot help ourselves. Blessing is more than a word. Blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. I want you to just think about the encounters that you've had in your life, and you can probably think of an encounter where you experienced someone projecting good in your life. You walked away from an encounter where you felt richly blessed, and you've probably had the opposite experience of walking away feeling like, well, what what in the world was that? And you know, but people have had encounters with you in a similar way, but God is different than us. God does not share this struggle that we all share. God doesn't grow tired or weary. God doesn't grow disinterested or distracted. God doesn't find God's self wrapped up in God's own little world that he cannot connect or relate to what we are going through, what our condition or our circumstance is. God is in the business of blessing. His default setting, the constant expression of God's heart is blessing. Blessing is who God is. Blessing is what God does. And when we affirm the goodness of God, the grace of God, we're acknowledging that this is the business that God is in. From the first page of the Scriptures to the last page of the Scriptures, this is what we see God doing. God, God is blessing Now here's why that's our starting point. Here's why it has to be our starting point uh, from my perspective is because if you miss that, if you miss this conviction that God is in the business of blessing, my conviction is that you cannot understand anything about the Christian faith. None of it will make any sense to you if you start in any other place. So, in other words, if you trade this belief that God is in the business of blessing, that, that instead somehow is God, God is in the business of trying to catch you in a slip-up or a mistake that God is somehow out to get you, that God's primary role in your life is to make sure that you never smile or laugh or do anything enjoyable, if that is the starting point, nothing about faith, nothing about the Christian faith will make any sense. Because you can't grow in relationship with God if you do not know the heart of God. And the heart of God, the character of God, everything that God is, His default setting, is this, it is blessing, it is who God is, it is what God does. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about what we mean by blessing, but, but first I wanna uh, read to you this passage from 1 Peter chapter two. And, and I'm gonna jump in at verse nine. The only thing that you need to know for context is who Peter is speaking to, who he's writing to. He is writing to some of the first men and women who gave their life to Jesus. The first men and women who received him as Lord and Savior, entrusting their lives to them, these are people who have already said yes. And because they have said yes, Peter is describing for them who they now are in response to what God has done. So beginning in verse 9, here's what he writes. But you are a chosen people So notice what Peter says about what God has done. God has brought you out of darkness into marvelous light. And because of the way that you have responded to this invitation, you have said, yes, you've made this journey with God from darkness to light. God has also now revealed to you who you really are. God has revealed his choosing of you. God has revealed his favor upon you. God has revealed to you this great promise, this great idea that you are God's special possession and God has made you into what Peter describes as a royal priesthood. I want you to think about that word priesthood. That, that's not a random word that Peter chose. It wasn't if he couldn't think of another way to say it. Paul, uh, Peter uses the word priesthood for a very specific reason, describing who we now are because of what God has done. The, the, the whole idea of, of the priest, of the priesthood, if you look at the context of the Old Testament, the priest had a central function and role within the community. And the role of the priest was to pronounce blessing over the people. The priest was the one who was supposed to receive the blessing of God And to be the one within the community who had the role of declaring that blessing over all the people. So one example of that is from Numbers chapter six. I wanna read it to you because it's a blessing that you probably recognize, but if you've tried to read the book of Numbers, you probably didn't make it to chapter six because it's not the most engaging book of the Bible. I'll just be honest with you. But listen to what uh, we find beginning in verse 22. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, Aaron was the first high priest, Tell Aaron, tell his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So, so Peter, he, he begins with this idea that God is in the business of blessing and out of, this, out of this heart, this character, this default setting, God has invited you out of darkness into marvelous light. He has revealed to you who you really are, that you're chosen, you're God's special possession and he's made you into, he's made you into priests. He's made you into those who have a role and a function. You have a responsibility. And that is to pronounce blessing over the lives of others. God's in the business of blessing, and the Christian life is all about doubling that blessing that God has poured into your life in the way that you live out your calling as a priest who shares that word of blessing and declares that word of blessing over the lives of others. And here's where this whole concept of of the double blessing gets a bit interesting. It's one of those upside down ways of thinking that we find so often in the teachings of Jesus that it is actually in giving the blessing that we end up receiving more of the blessing. Now, if that confuses you, or if you find yourself thinking, I think he just said if I give more money to the church, God will buy me a bigger boat. If you're confused in any way around that, let me explain to you why that is. The reason that that confuses us, the idea that in giving the blessing, we receive more of the blessing, the reason that confuses us is because of how dramatically we have distorted and misused this word blessing. Blessing is a word that we have reduced to a hashtag. It is a word that we use superficially and we use in a shallow way. We use it to describe anything from finding a good parking spot at the gym, let's think about the irony of that for a moment, to a picture that describes our favorite vacation spot. We have reduced the significance, the meaning, the depth of this word blessing. And because it is a word that is at the heart of who God is and what God does, we've ended up reducing God. We've turned God into some naive parent who just will do anything we want to make us happy. That God is like this 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 fickle genie in the bottle that we hope will grant our every wish. And it's because of our misunderstanding, our distortion of this word blessing that we use so frivolously and we throw around to to describe things that, that make us happy. So what do we actually mean by blessing? What does it mean that God is in the business of blessing? What does it mean when we look in the scriptures and and we find that, that word blessing? Let me start with what blessing is not. Blessing is not good luck. Blessing is not winning the lottery. In fact, I think there is a very strong argument that winning the lottery could be the most significant curse that could ever happen in your life. Blessing is not good luck, and he, here's, here's what really may, may bother you a little bit, but if you are home in your living room and you were watching your favorite sports team, maybe that's gonna happen for you this afternoon, if you're watching your favorite sports team and you were living with the notion that there is something that you can do in your living room, there's a, there's a particular piece of clothing that you could wear, or there's a, there's a part of the couch that you could sit on, if you have this idea that there's something that you might do in your living room that would affect the outcome of the game that you're watching, Blessing is not good luck, okay? Just follow this with me. It's not a roll of the dice. It's not something that just, just magically appears. Blessing is not good luck, and blessing is not health. It's not wealth or prosperity. Now, any of those three things might be a byproduct of the blessing of God. I don't have time to go into all of that, but these are not the primary blessings, of God in our life. Here's why that's so important. Because if we miss this, we are in danger of being blinded by the fact that what we think of as our greatest asset, what we think of as God's blessing in our life, might in fact be our greatest liability. The very thing that we would identify as God's blessing might be the very thing that is keeping us from growing in deeper relationship with God. That's the story of the rich young ruler, by the way. Blessing is not health, wealth, or prosperity. We live in a culture that is defined by more, and so we are so quick to associate blessing with something material, but that's not what blessing is. Blessing is not the absence of adversity. Jesus says in the Gospel of John In this world, you will have trouble. Tells you up front, in this world, you will have trouble. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, Jesus says, God makes the rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. I don't know if you've recognized this yet or run into this yet, but life is not fair, and grief is real, and blessing is not the absence of adversity. In fact, I think you could make the argument that the more and more your heart and life begin to be shaped by the heart and life of Jesus, the more vulnerable you are, to experiencing pain and sorrow and loss because your heart is growing closer to the heart of God, the heart of God who also feels the pain and the sorrow of loss of a broken world. Pain is uh, blessing is not the absence of diverse, uh, of adversity you've you've probably heard psalm 23 before It's it's perhaps the most popular scripture in all of the bible I want to remind you of what psalm 23 says It doesn't say that god will lead you around the valley of the shadow of death It says that god will walk Through that dark valley with you Blessing is not good luck It's not health, it's not wealth, it's not prosperity, it's not the absence of of adversity. So what is blessing? Blessing is the joy that comes from living in right relationship with God. It's the knowledge, the belief, your own trust in the conviction that the shepherd will never leave me and experiencing that li- that in your life in such a way that you grow in deeper trust in that conviction. It's the awareness, the belief, your confidence and conviction that because of the cross, the debt has been paid, new life has been given, God has made you alive in Christ, you, have, you are a new creation, you are God's special possession. Because of what Christ has done, you now have a glorious and eternal inheritance and nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of Christ, the love of God revealed and what He has done for you. It's the joy that comes from living in right relationship with God, which means it has nothing to do with the circumstances that we may be walking through or living through at that particular time. It's the joy that comes from living your life in right relationship with God. It is the challenge that is the catalyst for a growing relationship with God. So just as we uh, are, are prone to think of our greatest asset as God's blessing, when in fact it might be our greatest liability, so too we often undervalue how much God shapes us and molds us and grows us through the most significant challenges that we face in our life, which here's what this might mean for you today. It might mean that the greatest challenge in your life right now that you don't like, you're not happy about, it may even feel like a curse. It might in fact be the greatest blessing in your life right now. The greatest challenge might in fact be your greatest blessing. Blessing is the complication that results from living in faithful relationship with God. Let me see if I can explain this one a little bit to you. Uh, so again, just got back from the Holy Land, this is my fourth uh, trip, never ever imagined uh, w- when I said yes to this, this idea of, of, of serving as a, as a pastor, never imagined that this is one of the things that I would do uh, in my ministry, but, but again, had the chance to do it multiple times to take hundreds of people from our church over the course of, uh, of those many trips to the Holy Land. It's a, it has become one of the most meaningful things that I get to do, but, but several years ago I made a decision that as meaningful as it is to take people from our church to experience to go to Bethlehem and Jerusalem and Nazareth and, and to take a boat ride across the Sea of Galilee, to be in the very places where Jesus lived at his ministry, as, as meaningful as that is, is it, it was a journey I also wanted to share with my family. So two years ago, I took my 14-year-old daughter uh, to the Holy Land. We shared that experience together. And this most recent trip, I shared with my 11-year-old son. And as you can imagine, though, th- that's incredible. It was an amazing experience to take my kids to experience that with them. But I, I will tell you, especially in the instance of the 11-year-old, it did complicate things. <laughs> For instance, my son, whom I love, does not have the spiritual gift of packing. Packing. He, he does not have the gift of organization. Or at the very least, it has not been revealed in him yet. So for me to take him on the trip meant that I wasn't packing for one, I was packing for two. Every single day when we were going out and figuring out what we needed to take for the day, I was doing that work or moving to a new hotel. I was doing all of those things. It made it harder than, than it might have been otherwise. We were in, um, in the northern area of, of Israel. We came to a spot where I took my backpack off. And then we walked away for like 10 minutes. I forgot that I'd taken my backpack off and then all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, I don't have my backpack on And So I go back to where I'd left my backpack, my son's coming with me and luckily there it was and as I was walking up, I said to my son, this is really dumb of me and he said, yeah, dad, but it's not the dumbest thing I've seen you do. (laughs) And immediately I thought of Psalm 127, children are a heritage from the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. My job on this trip is to make sure that the number of people that we take with us is the same number of people that we bring back with us. And so we, when we walk through the old city of Jerusalem, however many start that journey is the same number that finish that journey. So I do a lot of this, just herding people along through the narrow streets of the old city of Jerusalem. And that's stressful, that's hard. But then you add into that the 11-year-old who doesn't want to walk right next to dad the entire way. It made it much more complicated. But I wouldn't have traded it for the world. It was an incredible blessing in my life. I want you to hear this very, very carefully. Life will never get easier for the faithful. If your hope is that that somehow in your life with Jesus things are going to get easier you're never going to experience challenge or complication or go through seasons that feel very chaotic where you are stretched you might have signed up for the wrong thing cuz life will never get easier for the faithful you remember the parable of the talents Matthew chapter 25 Jesus tells the story of a master who goes on a journey, and, and, in, and in leaving, he entrusts his wealth to three of his servants. To one servant, he gives five talents, which is a, a, a kind of money, by the way. It's a little bit of a confusing story uh, because of that, that language. But he gives five to one, he gives two to another, he gives one to another. And when the master returns, the one who had five had doubled it. And the one who had two had done the same. He had doubled what the master had entrusted to him. But the one who had one buried in the sand because he was worried about losing what his master had entrusted to him. We we'll often look at what happens, what, what the master says to the, to the one who had just buried the treasure in, in, into the ground, but to the ones who had doubled what had been entrusted to them. This is what the master says, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. In other words, you did well. I'm gonna make your life harder. I'm going to complicate your life. I'm going to entrust you with more. Fourteen families established the Mansfield Methodist Church in 1885. 135 years ago, this church was born. And that group of families eventually purchased a property on First Street in downtown Mansfield area for $100. They would eventually build a a church there, a sanctuary. You saw a picture of it in the opening video. Uh, The reason it's not there today is because on Friday night in September 1942, it burned to the ground. And in response to that, in the middle of a world war, this church rebuilt their church. They didn't hire a general contractor in a time when resources were scarce. They rebuilt their church with their own hands. In February of 1978, a month before I was born, by the way, this church made the decision to leave the place where they had been for almost 100 years. And to come here to the corner of Walnut Creek and Pleasant Ridge in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) And to build a new church on the five acres that they had acquired here. The vote, by the way, was 64 to zero. As church said, we believe that God is calling us to a new chapter in our life and we're, we're moving to a whole new home. In 1995, there was a vision team that got together to prepare for the next decade for what they believed God might do through the life of this church, what God was doing in the community in which, in which this church was located. And, and their most ambitious, audacious dream was that over the course of 10 years, God might actually almost double the size of this church. Hey, we're so wrong because this church grew by 350% over the course of that decade, At the end of that, 2005, is when I joined the staff here at this church. And all I can tell you is 15 years later, the mission and ministry that we do is infinitely, incredibly more complex than it used to be because of the faithfulness of this church. Next week, we break ground on a multi-phase project that will carry us into the future what we believe God will continue to do through the life of this church and it's gonna get even more harder because life never gets easier for the faithful the bottom line of this series is that living generously is how we double the blessing God has poured into our lives and if you need a vivid, clear example of that I want you to think about 14 families, 135 years ago, and a $100 bill. This is what started this church. And over the course of decades, I want you to think about how many times God has doubled that blessing. Over the course of generations of people who have been a part of this church family and all of the faithful decisions this church has made, this initial offering has doubled again and again and again and again. We're going to talk more about generosity over the course of this next few weeks, but the homework that I want to give you is a different practice, a practice that I think is also a way that we double the blessing that God has poured into our life, a practice that also nurtures in us an increased desire to live a generous life, and that is the practice of gratitude. Over the next 21 days, I wanna encourage you, I wanna challenge you to exercise your muscle of gratitude. And and I wanna challenge you to do that in this way. I wanna challenge you every single day over the next 21 days, which will carry us all the way to the end of the series, to record three things that you are grateful for in your life. To shift the focus of your life away from what, what, the focus that may be on what you don't have to what you do. And to identify what those things are. Now here are the three uh, constraints I want to add that should make this a, a, a more significant challenge. Number one, you have to write it down. paper pen, pencil, crayon, sharpie, whatever it is that you want to use, but to write down three things every day that you are grateful grateful for. Number two, you have to be specific. It can't be life. It needs to be something like, I'm grateful that today I had the physical ability to go for a walk and enjoy God's creation. That would be a specific thing that you might be grateful for. Third thing, each of the more than 60 things that you will eventually write down, each of them must be unique. So one of mine will be Bluebell cookies and cream ice cream. (laughs) And the cows around Brenham that make that possible. But I can only use that once. That you would, over the course of the next 21 days, identify more than 60 unique things that you are grateful for, for what God has done in your life. And gratitude is is a good thing for us to think about today as we come to this table to receive Holy Communion because we come to remember what God has done. And we prepare to come to this table, to come to this altar. We prepare by, by ensuring that what we bring is a heart of gratitude. That this, this table is for us a reminder, a remembrance of, of the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples on the last night that he would spend with them, the way in which in the course of that meal, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat of this, Jesus said, remember me. At that same night, Jesus took the cup and he, he raised the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And as often as you drink of this, Jesus said, remember me. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians refers to this cup in a specific way. He calls it the cup of blessing. So as you prepare to come, I want you to think about at least one thing that you're gonna bring to this altar today and say thank you to God for that, whatever it is, that thing in your life, to receive the gift and in response to it to double the blessing in the way that you would express your heart of gratitude to God. Will you pray with me? Loving God, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and juice. We pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, they may be for us the body and blood of Jesus, And that as we receive them, we may be reminded that we have been called to be the body of Christ. You have made us into a royal priesthood. And every day that is to come is different because of how you have set us free by the gift of this blood. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.